He is articulate. Uh, articulate? That's... Articulate. Yeah, he is articulate. Where'd she go? I can't keep track of her when she's not incorporeally possessing a spaceship. Don't look at me. That's some nonsensical crap. Ain't nobody can do that. You're somewhere on this boat. Somewhere with a con playing games. <laughs> That's somewhat unsettling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Style Guide Podcast. I'm Dave Morris, and with me as always is my co-host from across the country, Stephen Orr. How are you today, Steve-O? Oh, I'm great. Everything's shiny, Dave. Oh, so shiny. Oh, good one. I like you. Um, um, today, we are talking about Joss Whedon's Firefly, or as I like to call it, the greatest show ever canceled. Well, it was canceled. <laughs> and... It was great. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens at the end of this podcast. Yeah, so Firefly, you know, it's been referred to as a cult classic. It was, uh, it, it's been referred to as a bad show. It's been referred to as a great show. Uh, and I think one thing that is definitely remarkable about it, whether or not you like the show, love the show, watch the show, is that it was canceled. And then, and yet, the fan base for Firefly. Uh, which I think call themselves the brown coats for the most part, uh, were so loud about how much they loved the show and how much they wanted the show back that they went on to make a movie, a full-length film called Serenity, which uh, came out in, in theaters. And I'm sure it didn't do great at the box office, but it was for this one very specific group of fans. And that, whether you like the show or not, is pretty remarkable. It's true. It, it is true. Although the the thing about that movie is it was technically a flop. It did not make its money back. It didn't? Oh, I, I, I didn't look into the, how it actually did. It, I, I think it was very close. Uh, I think it was a $40 million budget and it made $39 million. So, you know, what's a million bucks between between friends? Not bad. That's not so bad. And the movie itself was pretty fun. And actually, I uh, I don't know about you, but I watched the show first. But some people, their introduction to Firefly was through the film. Because I guess films reach a broader audience than television shows that have been canceled. <laughs> That's a shocker to me. <laughs> but some people who, who saw Serenity the film and liked it and then went out and watched the television series. I know a few people who've done that and they and they're huge Firefly fans now. But I just find that would be such a strange way to watch the show, to to watch, uh, to see what happens to River before she ends up on the ship, like, before we even know she's on the ship. You know what I mean? Like, it just would ruin so much of the suspense of watching that show. Well, and, and I think part of that uh, goes to Joss Whedon as a writer and how good of a writer that he is, that even though you know ultimately what happens to a number of characters uh, after the Serenity movie, you can still go and rewatch or watch for the first time the Firefly series and still appreciate their interactions and what's going on in the television series and enjoy it. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's a great place to start, actually. It's just with Joss Whedon himself. Okay. The man himself, before we talk. Like, cause, I mean, I guess we can give a brief overview of the show for people who haven't seen it it's sort of a science fiction television series that's very inspired by west the wild west and it's this the concept is uh is uh we left earth went to another galaxy and and it's sort of like pioneers in space is that how you is that good did i miss anything 
No, no, I, I think that's good. I mean, it captures a lot of the same themes of pioneer Western uh, films. And had, there was a civil war that happened and everything. So it's kind of like, you know, it, it follows along the, the similar path. And, uh, and in the future, like U.S. And, and China won. So everyone speaks Chinese, especially when they swear, which is a convenient um, tool to have people swear. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So Joss Whedon. How do you feel about Joss Whedon just overall? What do you think? Is he is he amazing? Is he terrible? Is he great? Is he in the middle? I've always been a fan of Joss Whedon's work. Uh, his, I mean, Buffy and Angel, uh, particularly Angel, I really enjoyed. And then he did something like Dollhouse or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I find that he is an uneven writer. Uh, and, and I'm surprised that because... I've always thought of myself as a Joss Whedon fan, but the more that I think about and, and watch his work, I'm a fan of a couple of particular episodes of some of those and maybe some of the characters, but ultimately Firefly is the only series of his that I wholeheartedly endorse. I more or less agree with everything you just said. I, I think he is a great writer and he's really good with dialogue. And he can manage to make people say and have the cheesiest kind of storytelling moments and still make it feel authentic and real. And I think that goes even through Buffy and Angel. Uh, Angel was, I think, the the show of his that I liked, second to Firefly. And then Buffy, I never really, really... I, I started to get into it and then I couldn't get into it because it was too teenage high school thing. I think I watched it too late. But I think he's really good at writing. I don't think all of his... Uh, stories really capture me. I think what, what Joss does excellently is two things. One is the concept. He is a master of high concept work. And, and you, can see, you can see that he loves coming up with these interesting science fiction-y premises that, that allow him to tell the same kind of story that we see in a lot of other work, but in an interesting setting with interesting sorts of characters. Agreed, yeah. His concepts are awesome. Uh, a, a teenage vampire slayer uh, that's also a cheerleader, awesome concept. A vampire trying to get his soul back, awesome concept. A crew on a ship in like a Wild West space, awesome concept. Dollhouse, and Dollhouse is the, uh, I haven't actually watched the show, so I don't, I'm not sure what the concept is, but it sounds pretty awesome. Well, Dollhouse, the idea of uh, the ability to basically wipe some uh, human beings as as computer program or computers that we can load a program into and they will be that kind of person. Cool. Like so you, you, you can wipe you can wipe someone blank and then put a, um, a sexy date program in them or a badass assassin program in them or uh, a scientist program in them and they become that. Pretty cool concept. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing. I love Joss Whedon's concepts. Even something like Agents of Shield, which I don't know how much he control he had over the initial creation of it, but you know, the the way that that is built up at the very beginning is great. Yeah. And and yet his his storytelling isn't as strong. I think it's his characters that are a lot of fun, but his his ability to tell stories is I think well, I don't know. I think I agree with what you said, that he's inconsistent. Is Sometimes his stories are amazing, and other times, mm, they're okay. And part of me wonders if that has to do with him getting so caught up in particular in the particular idea that he has to the detriment of the story. 
Hmm. Because it seems like throughout the Firefly series, I I don't know if I would say he has a miss in any of those episodes. Nothing. Every single episode of the Firefly, all the stories are super solid and the character development is great. And yeah, so he's on in Firefly. And this is the thing I wanted to talk about as well about Joss Whedon and Firefly particularly is that Firefly, he was at like the height of his storytelling. The height of his depth. The height of his depth, yeah. Because um, <laughs> uh, he'd, uh, so Buffy was, I think, still on the air or had just finished. Angel was into like its, I think he was still working on Angel and he just kind of like passed off maybe the showrunner reins and then started on to Firefly while working on Angel and Buffy was still concluding. So he was like in the zone. Right. When he took started Firefly. So he was like he'd just come off uh, uh, these two other shows that were doing super well. I don't think Angel had been canceled yet. Um, and he and he started writing this new show. And so he was like in in the zone for writing. And so everything is just so perfect. And I think he's even said that from Angel, he learned the necessity of an ensemble cast because in Buffy, it was Buffy. And then slowly throughout the series, she builds the gang. And the gang gets bigger and bigger. But in Angel, like it starts right away with a uh, with a an ensemble, and by the end, there's an even bigger ensemble. Like there's like I think six of them by the end. If you watch the opening credits, season by season, it's like Angel walking, and then it's like Angel and three people, and then Angel and like six people by the end. And so like I think yeah, he was in the zone. Yeah, well, and and I think part of this is the one of the difficult problems with any long running or large show is how much influence the original creator exerts on the show as it continues. Because, like, Joss Whedon ended up writing something like, having, I think, the the main writing credit on only 30 or so Buffy episodes. Mm -hmm. Angel, you know, fewer than that. Firefly, even fewer. And so one of the questions that you have to ask yourself is, how much of Buffy, how much of Angel is Joss Whedon. Yeah, and we can never truly know the answer to that question. No, no. But at the same time, we can look at something like Firefly, and even though he writes four or five of those episodes, uh, or has the main writing credit on four or five, all of them have his feel to it. And mm-hmm. so I think I think one of the things that that Joss is really good at doing is having this organizational role over a writer's room that may not get him a direct credit, but that that gives him the creative influence that allows his style and his writing habits to seep through. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that they were more or less going to be canceled at any moment the whole time they were creating that show, uh, Joss has gone on record, I think, saying that it really helps your storytelling because it forces you to like... What's the most important thing? I have to get this out there because this show could be canceled at any moment and I need to make this story good. Uh, and so it kind of had this fire under them the whole time created to make sure these stories were fantastic. And actually, that's the something else that we t- just sort of glossed over in the cancellation of the series. It wasn't even shown on television in order. Right. They showed it like, I think, uh, I think the train job was the first one they showed, which was episode two. I don't even think they showed the the two hour pilot until later, like three or four episodes in kind of thing. Like it was just kind of like they would just put out the episodes that the network thought were good enough out of order, which really makes it difficult to get invested in that show. If one episode 
everyone's on the ship and the next episode people arrive on the ship. That doesn't make any sense at all. Well, you're right. And the thing that, that makes that particularly interesting is that in each of the episodes, I would say they are self-contained enough that even though the the show was shown out of order and even though it was always on the verge of being canceled or maybe because it was on the verge of being canceled it forced them to write the characters in such a way that you're always being reintroduced to them yeah or you don't even need to be introduced to them because by the way they talk and the way they move you know who they are yeah yeah their relationship to each other is is put front and center so you know how you you know even if you don't know the full background you know that the the kinds of relationships that the characters have to each other and that is again the thing like uh, about how the importance of an ensemble cast that Joss realized from working on Angel is you really see it in Firefly in that this cast is not only are each of the characters so well rounded and crafted but their connections to each other are just as solid yeah, and it, it's almost as if one of the things they said in the writing room is every time two characters are interacting, I want you to reinforce their core relationship. And also, like, because the actors, like, they loved working on the show. And uh, I think all of them are, are, were very happy. It was a great crew. And they all actually did start becoming close. That on set, in scenes, they would find their own ways of enforcing those relationships. Like, there's a moment where... Uh, I think it's after Ar- on Ariel, after they do the heist, and Mal grabs Kaylee and pulls her into a hug. Uh, just like casually, he jumps behind her and he's like, all right, nice job, everyone, let's throw this stuff away. And he kind of hugs her from behind. He just did that. Like Nathan Filling just did that on set because him and Jewel were actually like, you know, they were becoming really close and friends and stuff. And it was just sort of like a, it felt like the thing to do. Uh, and same with the scene when uh, in the first uh, the pilot episode, Serenity, when Kaylee's been shot and she's in the sick bay. And there's this shot of Jane crouched down, looking in the window, peeking in at her, making sure she's okay. Hmm. You remember that shot? I don't know if you remember that. He was just doing that in the scene, and then they decided to film him doing it. You know, so it was like a lot of that was just like everyone was helping reinforce these relationships and it was starting and you can really see the the connections between them yeah and and i think i think that throughout the entire series it's clear that everyone has bought into the narrative and bought into the characters mhm it no, nobody feels like they're they're acting i i, I mean it, it it feels like they're there are genuine relationships that we're we're getting a chance to watch on screen. It is you could like you could go through every character and know you know exactly how they feel about every other character. Like I could like we could probably do it right now without even like having to research it. Like you could tell that Jane looks at Inara and it's, to him she's just sexy, and he looks at Shepard and to him he's like you know a workout buddy, and he looks at Kaylee and she's like the sister that he's got to protect, and he looks at Mal like a like sort of a, a rival and a, a leader, you know, and like you can go through each of the characters like that and see the perfect exact, you know exactly how they feel. Part of that has to do with the the threat of always being canceled, and I think part of that has to do with lessons that were learned on Buffy and Angel. Mm-hmm. I mean. The the biggest struggle that I have in the Buffy series is that Buffy feels so detached. Like, 
unlike all of the or, or unlike most of the other characters, they feel like they're they're embedded in relationships. And Sarah Michelle Geller feels like she's acting in all her scenes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they they try to have touching moments between her and her all of a sudden sister in the fifth yeah. or fourth season. <laughs> and and it just comes across as insincere. Yeah. As opposed to uh, other relationships on the show where like even even little moments like the was it the episode what was the episode where their old war here war buddy sh- uh what, they showed up dead oh it's called uh i think um the package package the message the message that's right sorry yeah not the package the message right right and and just the there's there's half a line where the the guy asks Kaylee if she has a relationship with Wash, mm-hmm. and and her reaction to that just on her face shows so much about how she feels about Wash, yeah, <laughs> and also how she feels about Zoe, yeah, and and just it it's just really expertly shown at all times that these characters live together and relate together. Yeah, and even like uh, like Zoe and Mal's relationship, like the the sort of like captain and and like uh, or lieutenant and sergeant, you know, like how she follows his, she trusts him and follows his word, but their relationship to each other and the army as well, like in that same episode where they're carrying the the body and Shepard Book tries to help because that's mm. his way of thinking, and she's like, we got it, and she won't let him help carry their old army buddy. You know, even though he's doing it out of kindness and like she knows that he's a good person and like that whole thing, she's still like, nope, you can't. Sorry. This is an yeah. army thing. Yeah. It's their burden to bear. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good show. Uh, so we're talking about the relationships here. Do we want to get into a little bit of, of the character dissection? Because yeah, for sure. I think the the main part, I think anyone who's seen Firefly, and if you haven't seen Firefly, you should probably stop listening right now and just go watch it and then come back because we're just going to ruin the whole thing for you. So yeah, so let's uh, let's go, let's dissect the characters. Uh, what character would you like to start with? Well, I mean, uh, let's start with Captain. Captain Mal Reynolds. So one thing I love about Captain Mal Reynolds is that the original intention for him was to be really brooding and dark. Like an angel character. Yeah, exactly. Like this dark, tortured soul, you know? Like, like a, I think the, the whole idea that he, like, fought in this great war that he was going to win and he was doing the right thing and, like, he had God on his side. And then they lose the war and so he abandons God and he gives up on everything and now he's just trying to make it, you know? And, like, just trying to, to not be under the alliance of stuff. He was supposed to be super dark, but again, because of the the threat of cancellation, the network said they wanted more humor in the captain. And so they started writing in more jokes for him. And you really kind of see that transition from the very first pilot episode to the rest of the series where he starts making jokes. And part of that is Nathan Fillion. I mean, his yeah. his natural character is is humorous. But you're right. There, there is a difference between the very early versions of the character and the the way that he opens up. And what makes that particularly interesting is that you you see it happening on the ship, and you believe you you can believe that it's happening because you know he's his walls are being broken down by the crew. But the the story of the show is that most of the crew has been there for at least eight months or or longer, and so. So it actually ends up 
I mean, we, we believe a bit of a lie in that sort of way, right? Because it's not as if he starts to develop a sense of humor and, and a bit more uh, openness because of uh, River and yeah. Simon. It, it's because the writing, the writing changed a little bit. Well, yeah, like, like, and I think it's just, they, they, it wasn't that they changed his character. They just started showing us more of the jokes he made. Like, you know, like he's in Anara's room when she's doing Kaylee's hair. And he's like, but he leaves and then he comes back in. Hey, you have a moment to do my hair? And she yells, get out. You know, like those kind of moments where it's like he's a silly captain as well. He's not just a tough leader. Because uh, they do have uh, some moments like that in, in, the, in the pilot, you know, where he does things that are funny. Like when he tells Simon that Kaylee's dead. And then there's that beautiful moment of like Simon slow motion running and Shepard runs around, walks around the corner and looks really sad. And he runs in and she's there laughing. And then it cuts to the bridge where they're all laughing their faces off. <laughs> like that joke is just such a perfect Joss Whedon joke. Uh, but it was performed by Mal. So it does show us that, in that even in that first episode, even though he's tortured and that was the intention, he still made a joke. Uh, so when they start making more of those jokes, because I think that's the only joke he really makes in the first episode, now that I think about it, but the, the, so they can make more, they just started making more of them. Yeah, cer- certainly more on the nose, which which mm-hmm. uh, also goes along with the way his character, um, and, and it you're, you're right in that it's, it's always there, but the, his character is seen more and more caring about the crew. Yeah. And part of this has to do with River and Simon, because he already cares about the rest of the crew, and he has to start to to care about them, to the point where at the end of the series, you know, he gets a moment alone with River on the top of the spaceship, and you can see him just light up as he yeah. as he tells her or, or as he mentions about how Simon almost screwed up her brilliant plan, you know, yeah, and it's just this loving so moment. So much looking after. Well, and he says to her. Uh, you're not quite right. And she says, that's a popular theory. You know, so it's like, and it's a beautiful uh, end to that episode that starts with him saying she has an oddity to her. And we know when they're on the on the bridge. And then to end with him saying, you're not quite right with this like loving, compassionate voice is really nice. And And that episode is all in the backdrop of him musing over whether they have to get rid of her on the ship because she might be a threat to them all. Yeah. And and I mean, uh, so Mal, the character, as this like torn torn war hero, right? He's been destroyed. His his he's been taken, but the alliance took everything he had from him, and like he's he's left drifting. Is mirrored in River's character as well, which is sort of like uh, let's move on to River here as well. This is a good transition because she she in a very similar way was this bright, brilliant young child goes off to the school and gets torn down by the Alliance and literally like physically her brain is, is torn apart. Unlike Mal, who is emotionally torn apart or like, you know, his freedom is torn by them. Uh, so I think to the, the two of them together kind of nicely mirror each other in that story. Yeah. The two of them more than any of the other characters in the series bear the wounds of the Alliance. Yeah, exactly. And and with River, it's it's particularly stark because we get to, as the series goes on, get to see her mental breaks more and more. And mm-hmm. she has no way of coping, unlike Mal, who who very much has found a way to cope. And it's it's through it's through the building of this family and kind of the he's still in war. It's just his yeah. war is now with the rest of the universe. It's not with the Alliance anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah, even though he constantly says the war's over, you know that it's not. Yeah, it can it can never be over for Mel. Which is that great moment in in the this train job where it starts in Unification Day, or is it the train job it that is. starts there? Bushwhacked. No, train Bushwhacked. job starts on that Unification starts... Day. Okay, and they're like, funny that we always find ourselves in an Alliance Family Bar on U Day, and he's like, don't know what you're talking about, just having a brew. It's like he's still trying to pick. He intentionally wants to pick a fight. <laughs> with alliance supporters so he's still fighting that war and they make the mirror you know this is why we lost you know they had bigger numbers and she's like thanks for the reenactment so like he's still trying to fight that war you know it yeah yeah and what what makes it hard for river is that not only did she never fight in that war but she can't even she she doesn't have anything to grab on to for to keep her sane like she she yeah. she doesn't get to relive the fight against the alliance because she never had that. She was just a bright little girl who got taken away from her family. Yeah, and she is sort of the she she's kind of the uh she's the thing that makes like the show the show is centered around this one girl. Like the alliance is after her, the the blue, the the blue sun corporation with the the two hands of blue if they're the same we're not quite sure are after her. Like everyone is after this this girl and that's kind of the mission of the of the whole season is like keeping River safe. What is River? She's the mystery of the show. She's the thing that is slowly unraveling throughout the show when we see her use a gun for the first time and she does it with her eyes closed and you're like what the f who is what is, is she a weapon what is she you know and it's like kind of like it, it's it, she's like a big driving force of the whole mystery of the show and my guess is that that is primarily what Joss saw the first arc of firefly being the first arc of the show was going to be two or maybe three seasons about this question of River Tam. But he left the door yeah. open in a variety of different directions so that we could follow other mysteries in this universe, which mm -hmm. is why a character like Shepard Book is so interesting. I was about to say Shepard Book because his mystery, they keep dangling. Like, like they're so, you can, t like, it almost feels like he's dangling it for next season. <laughs> you know, like, like hey shepherd's got a history we're not going to talk about it though it's just part of the it's just the it's for later in the episode and it gives them another person that can use a gun yes yes but i think i, I think that the 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 vision of the show was that they were going to tell the story of river tam and then they were going to tell the story of shepherd book and mm -hmm. and we were going to see a completely different direction because his mystery, while connected to, to River's mystery, certainly through the Alliance, is very, very yeah. different. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I think they were going to hold off on Shepard for another season even. I don't know if his was going to be next season's story because I think his story is going to be awesome. But because of the character he is, he, as a Shepard, can conceal it more. You know, and we kind of did know already that he was like, he must have worked for the Alliance somehow. He must have been some sort of agent, you know, like in the movie, they talk about the, they're going to send an operative, you know, so we can maybe deduce that he maybe was an operative because he seems to know, can recognize tracking. He knows all about crime and guns. He knows who Niska is like, he's super smart. And then he found God. So I don't know if they would have made him right away. I think the next season would have been about Anara. Well, I mean, one of the things is that we didn't get a conclusion to the River arc until the movie. 
They yes. they clearly left that open at the end of the season, and and that's something that I think we should talk about that finale in particular. But oh yeah, we'll get to that when we talk about the actual show and episodes because right now we're just we, we've hardly started. Yeah, but but they 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 had to conclude Rivers story more or less in a two-hour uh movie and they they did but i can see how joss might have wanted to draw that out over an entire another season oh and easily could have you're right yeah so not conclude river's story right yeah away. yeah because I, I think that there there was a lot more fun that they could have with it as she slowly became sane but also mm-hmm. you know finding out more about the particular nuances of her madness yeah, and so there is the the mystery that Anara brings to the ship too. She brought a lot to the ship, actually, Anara, because she brings the love story between her and and Mal to the show. But she also brings that mystery of why she left the academy, and and that's one that we don't really get a clue of until almost the end of the series. In uh, what is it, Heart of Gold? Yeah, yeah, which never aired. It never aired on television. Yeah. Hmm. Um, a lot, a few of them never aired. I don't think Objects in Space actually aired huh. with, with with early The Bounty Hunter. Okay, anyway, um, so Inara, but yeah, she, we got a, hint, a glimpse from that Heart of Gold episode into it even surprised her friends why she left. And, and I mean, that that's really all it is. All we have is, is that Inara left and her mystery was left completely unsolved. And, mm-hmm. and, but, but it is this great question. Because it's clear that she, like Simon, could have been someone, you know, yeah. and, and made the choice not to. And we learn that, yeah, she's not just a companion on the ship. She is, like, one of the best in the verse on this ship. Just the same way Simon is, like, the best doctor on the ship. And Wash is, like, the best pilot in the verse, and he's on their ship. And Kaylee's this, like, gifted mechanic on the ship. Uh, so she's, like, a, a not just a normal person she's a superhero no no of of sexy times <laughs> but she, she she was also a very fun character <laughs> like her her banter between mal with with mal was was always a delight to watch and and mm-hmm. her compassion for kaylee and her respect with book her and book both understood that they were like the counselors of the ship they were the thoughtful ones you know and yeah so like you see that and her her also compassion for river and simon too like she almost has this Kind of like, a, uh, I don't want to say motherly because it's kind of, I feel like I'm de- demeaning her role, but she is like this, the, she has the compassion. She's like this, this, like uh, the love of the ship. Well, and I think the idea of her as the matron of the ship is right because you, you're, you're right to point to this, this care and compassion that she has. And in a lot of ways, her, her job is to remind Mal of his heart. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's very clear that she is very bright. She she has the right kind of mind to help them on their criminal escapades. She's her own version of ruthless when she needs to be. And mm-hmm. and she is as as complex and and expert as any of the other characters. Yes, definitely. and so I, I don't. I don't think it's a pejorative to refer to her as the the matron of serenity, because I think that that shows like the the strength of her character as as the other leader of the ship. Other than Mal, yeah, uh, 
true. Yeah, because I mean, it, it's Zoe is always the second in command. If mm-hmm. if Mal were to die, Zoe would be the leader of the ship, but but Anara would definitely still have that strong leadership role over everyone. Mm-hmm, for sure, and she always is the one who speaks on behalf of the rest of the crew. You know, yeah, she's the one that speaks up, and Mal has to be like, "Say, stop! Like, don't tell me what to do on my ship." But Zoe, Zoe, definitely second in command, and definitely badass fighter chick. Yeah, well, and I mean, uh, the the great the great episode of the message, you know, where where she's shown just how stealthy and how much of a, a cutthroat she can be. You know, and she's telling, she's telling whatever his name. Oh, yeah. We see the flashback and she's yeah. like, it's like, oh, Zoe. And she saves his life. She's like, Zoe, I didn't even know you were there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first rule of battle, little one. Never let them know where you are, you know. Perfectly juxtaposed by Mal running and shooting. I'm right here. Come get me. I'm right here. Yeah. But it just shows how great she is and yet, and uh, how just strong she is. But also, and this is, I think, one of the most beautiful choices in the show is the relationship between her and Wash. Because you see both sides of her character so well you see this loving compassionate woman as well as this really strong independent woman in the in her relationship with mal and then her relationship with wash and it perfectly makes her character not just tough chick it makes her it makes her zoe yeah and and i think war stories the episode where mal and wash are tortured by niska is such an important yeah. one for understanding the nuances of her relationships. It's uh, and and like that moment where she comes in and Niska's like, "It's not enough for both, but maybe for one." Ah, now you have to him, <laughs> and she doesn't let him finish. So you're gonna make me choose, right? Because she, of course, it's her husband. She's gonna save. Of course, it's her husband. She loves him. Mal is her partner in war and in crime and in life but her husband who she loves and needs is wash well and then there are the subtle nuances behind that of the fact that she knows that mal could probably withstand torture and she knows that mal could go through those experiences by himself and not suffer in the same way that wash could would suffer and she knows that yeah that he's a soldier and this he know he was he's prepared for this yeah you know He's ready to give his life, whereas Wash is not. And then, of course, he is willing to to save Mal. And it's this that that's such a beautiful episode where where mm. you you really see the crew rally around Mal after so long of him rallying around all of them. And that great moment of Wash explaining that Mal's crazy. He's crazy. He's insane. He didn't break, though. He kept me from breaking like that beautiful, beautiful sort of like. You think they they were yelling and hating each other and arguing about how Zoe and him like you know have had sex and blah 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 all this sort of stuff. And yet, Wash is like so thankful to him that he suits up to go fight. And even Kaylee gets a gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so Zoe and then Wash's character again defined partially through his relationship with Zoe, where we see him as like a a husband, you know, and we see him actually like you know loving and arguing, you know, like in in a marital relationship. But he also is like, I think, I think everyone would say the the funny one on the ship. I think he even says that at one point, doesn't he? Doesn't he say I'm the funny I, one? I, you're probably right. I can't recall it. But but I mean, he and Jane both in different ways serve the comic relief role. Yeah, uh, I think Wash is is meant more as comic relief than Jane is. And Jane is like Wash we laugh with 
as he makes jokes. Jane, we laugh and at. Is, yeah. is, acts funny. And Jane, we laugh at the, the fact that he does things. He's more of a clown in that sense. But Wash is definitely the, the always the making the jokes. Like right from the first scene with the dinosaurs, you know, like we see that he's this childish, playful. He wears Hawaiian shirts, you know, and like the moment when Jane is knocked unconscious on the floor in the uh, in the train job episode. And Wash is like, well, what are we going to do? And he puts his foot on Jane unconscious on the floor. <laughs> just like, huh, Jane's knocked out. And he just makes a joke about it, you know. So I think he's he's clearly the, the lightheartedness of the show. Absolutely. Absolutely is the case. And But also, again, similar to Inara, you know, a moral compass for the show. He's not as strong yeah. or assertive about it, but he knows what is right. Yeah, and uh, and he also has that that um, the other emotional side with Zoe, which is nice. And actually, in the movie, unfortunately, he gets reduced to plot points. Like I'm pretty sure, almost all the exposition in the film comes from Wash saying things like, "I think we need to go. I think we need to find our bearings. We need to go see Mister Universe." Or let's get to the beacon. Like he says every line that's like, let's just do the thing we're trying to. <laughs> because as comic relief, he can be in the, uh, when the plot picks up halfway through the movie, we don't need comic relief anymore. We need him to be reduced to exposition, man. Yeah, which is what makes his death in that the movie so much more tragic is because the death comes at a point when the character was least himself. Well, and actually least himself and almost finally regaining himself i am a leaf on the wind i am a leaf on the wind i am a leaf on the wind i'm a leaf on the wind what what does that mean <laughs> when they're when they're crashing through everything and then i'm a leaf on the wind watch how i stabbed through the heart with a spear ah beautiful well and i mean it's it's very much his, joss whedon's way of saying these are my characters and i acknowledge that this is the end you know yeah, we're ending the. Yeah, we're not doing the show, guys. We're not doing the show. But it's different than when Shepherd Book died in in the the movie, where Shepherd Book died as Shepherd Book, one hundred percent. But Wash, he we we lost the the character before the character died, and so that was it. I mean, I I understand why why Joss did it in the story, but at the same time, I, I felt it was a, I felt cheated. When he killed yeah. Wash, yeah, I, that was a that's a Joss Whedon just sort of wink at you, like, hey, the show's coming to an end, and look, we don't need Wash anymore for this. He's not much of a fighter; he'll just slow everything down. And we'd rather have Zoe be really pissed off at Reavers in this final fight that she sacrifices herself and almost dies. Well, and and that's that's the other thing, though, like that relationship between him and Zoe is probably. The only instance I've ever seen of Joss Whedon doing a love relationship that I've been satisfied with. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I I think I agree with you in that when I think of like what are the other love relationships he does. The I mean, other than Mal and Anara, but that that never solidifies. Similar to the Doc well, and I'm gonna say and yeah, Kaylee. Kaylee and the Doc was the one I was about to say as the other love relationship that I think is handled kind of. Like, it's pretty well. Like, it starts with just Kaylee being kind of infatuated. And then as the episodes go on, they don't actually show their relationship forming. You just sort of see, like, her getting more comfortable and flirting, you know? Like, like the episode where, um, I think it's the Janestown episode. Yeah, it is, where Kaylee, and the, it starts with Kaylee and the doc talking. And she, about swearing. Yeah. 
and she's like smiling like when do you do all this cussing i never see you cuss uh and she's like like flirting and they're just having this little flirtatious thing and then later again um yeah and then in the uh the episode where they the the message where they are in the he's taken her to see this cow fetus you know that and he, that's supposed to be an alien but he's explaining that it's just a cow fetus and uh and they're kind of like on a date and then he totally messes it up you know like so it slowly progresses without being an in-your-face love story yeah but i uh, i'm my my distinction is that let's keep talking kaylee and simon this is our next these are our next characters we're going to get into here but go for it. your distinction between the zoe and wash relationship that's that's a, the forming of a relationship and and doesn't mm. quite get to an actual relationship whereas uh, yeah, okay. zoe and wash is it's they are in love and they have been in love and they have you know they're they get angry at each other and they love each other and they they fight and some they make up and and it's a perfect uh, showing of a complicated relationship yeah, yeah where whereas both mal and anara and then of course kaylee and simon show the difficulties and the joys of the budding relationship and mm-hmm. kaylee is is so perfect in that because you can you can see how she you're right she she evolves from infatuation with this pretty stranger who represents you know the life that she never had to uh, a more nuanced and careful understanding of who Simon is and actually starting to fall in love with him yeah yeah and like Kaylee's character is just uh so perfect like you can't not love that character She's like she is the heart of the ship. I think is is how I think I've heard her described before. That she is like the the you know the the loving one, the fun one. The I love my captain. Can you keep Kaylee from being so uh, positive? Can you keep her from being so uh, happy? What does he say? I can't recall. And then there's not a power in the verse that could keep Kaylee from being cheerful. You know, like she's just this lovely, happy heart. So when she is sad. We all cry, you know, like she brings us she brings us all into that sadness because she is such a happy, beautiful, loving character. Uh, and at the same time, incredibly capable and smart. Well, yeah. And I mean, the fact that she is, you know, the the good the heart of the show and then is also the the one who repairs Serenity's heart. Like there's there's something wonderfully fitting about that, you know. Yeah, she's the best mechanic flying. Uh, and then also, like, not only is she just like this, because it, it's easy to look at her and see her as this, like, pure, like, Kansas girl, you know, like, really pure and innocent and happy and kind. But then when we meet her on the ship, she is, like, the, the flashback to her, like, how she ends up on the ship is by having sex with Ben Bender? What's his I name? I can't remember. The, the uh, first me- mechanic. Not, uh, uh, Fender, I think his name is. <laughs> Something like that. In the engine room. And that's how she ends up on the ship. It's because engines make her hot. And it's like this, this like, like, oh, cool. Like, she's not just this, this, this two-dimensional character that's just always happy and cheerful. It's like, no, she does have sex and she, she does get sad sometimes. And she is a genius mechanic. And, like, you, you see, like, that, again, that whole idea of Joss Whedon perfectly rounding this character by giving us two ways to view them. Yeah, yeah, which is why juxtaposing her against Simon works so well. Because Simon is the prim and proper and uh, intellect. intellect. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's he is articulate. Uh, articulate. That's 
Articulate. Yeah, he is articulate. He's articulate and, and a genius, and they do everything in their their power to always make him look as if he's prepared for the world, and he cares about his appearance a great deal. Mm-hmm. He's proper. He's He prides himself on being smart and yet is terrible at communicating with people. And Kaylee is the opposite. She doesn't pride herself on her intelligence. She just understands engines. And she isn't uh, trying to look prim and proper. She's just very casual and how it usually has dirt on her face and uh, and isn't necessarily the most articulate with her words, but says the truth all the time, really, really, really clearly. I think my favorite Kaylee moment is when she's talking with all the guys at the party. Right. About engines about engines and she's just like making jokes and she's just holding court like nobody's business and they all love her and then one of them's like Miss Kayla I wonder if I could ask you to dance whoa 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 she's talking let her talk let her talk <laughs> like, don't ask her to dance we're having a conversation here uh, just to show that it's like yes she is this, this unbelievably beautiful woman but she is also this like uh, like she can be one of the guys which is why we need Jane always you know poking poking his inappropriateness into into her affairs. Yeah, and it's the, the, the yeah, let's move on to Jane, because I think the, the best way, I think uh, I think one of the notes Joss gave him was everything Jane does, I wanted to act like he's the star of his own movie. <laughs> and you see it when you watch it. It's like everything he does, he's like, this is my moment. I've got this. And he's like, <laughs> like this is the Jane show, everybody. Back up. He never plays sidekick thug. He always acts like he's the hero. Yeah, well, he's he's the character on the show that seems most to be a pirate. Yeah. Yeah, per- perfectly. Yeah, he is a pirate. Yeah. Yeah, and he'll work for the highest bidder. Yeah. Well, which, which is what drives a lot of the interesting moments of the show where his betrayal and then or his his attempted and then decided not to betray River the first time and then the mm-hmm. second time it. Yeah, he tells Mal the money wasn't good enough. And so him and Mal have this perfect respect for each other. Then Mal understands exactly why Jane is there. And so they can work together because he understands his motives. He knows he's there for the money. So he'll make sure he gets enough money. uh, And he'll keep him safe and he'll keep him working. Yeah. And then there's even a sense in which towards, towards the end of the series and then in the movie where Jane has started to become a member of the crew proper. Yeah. He's not just a mercenary. He develops a relationship with Book. He uh, he starts to be more protective of River and Simon, even though he's not entirely comfortable with them. Yeah, and yeah, it's that uh, it, it's the 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 transformation from I've got uh, the very first episode. I've got a ten percent stake in this in this uh, job, and ten percent of nothing is well. Let me see here, nothing, and so like he's there just for the money. Plain and simple. And then by the end of the film, when they're all sitting around the table and Mal gives his I aim to misbehave speech, now it's like we're not here for the money. We are doing this just for River, the person that he was totally didn't even want on the ship. And he says, Shepherd Book told me if you can't do something smart, to do something right. And you see that like Jane is now a full member of their crew. Shepherd Book has influenced him. He's protecting River. He's not there for the money. He is a member of Serenity. Yeah. Well, and I and I think one of the reasons that we're spending so much time talking about these characters in in an episode about the television series is that all of these characters are necessary for for us to fall in love with the show. 
Yeah, it and and uh, and the ship. Like we fall in love with the ship through their their love of the ship. Yeah, yeah, and and the the complexity of of their relationships to each other builds this very complex, nuanced, and lovely family. Mm-hmm. And and it's a family that is dysfunctional at times, that argues, that that disagrees on on the nature of their relationships at times, but is at its core connected through being trapped, quote unquote, on this this boat flying through space yeah. that they all chose to be a part of. Yeah, and you know, like, uh, and the the show and the way it manages to put all those, like the way these these characters all come together on this ship and in this universe, this universe of sort of like Asian culture and uh, American culture crossing paths, where you have people sitting around a table eating, uh, like, uh, like, um, uh, like tea. What is it? What is it? Uh, uh, tea and uh, not biscuits. Like we're all we'll all be drinking sake and biscuits. What does Jane say? He says this one phrase: tea and dumplings. That's what he says. This like tea and dumplings, like this perfect cross of like European and American culture and uh, and Asian culture. And like you see Mal eating a tomato slice with chopsticks at one point, you know, and he's like holding this, and and it's just like this this sort of world universe, this beautifully crafted universe that is never fully explained. No, and and it's important that it's never fully explained because it always we always have more and more questions. Yeah, and and it also just gives it this really lived in feel, you know, like that that uh, like science fiction done right, like the original Star Wars movies where they don't really explain it all. It just feels really, uh, it feels so vast and full and lived in, and we don't we have questions about it, but we don't need to know the answers to it. And like just the like, like Badger and having like this like cockney english accent with his bowler hat and like like uh serving wood alcohol to people and like this weird kind of like like crazy culture or when you finally see the bazaar where you actually see like a trading post in space and what it's like and how they still have like sideshow carnivals and they have like uh what are those uh jane calls river a genius but she can't eat a a space planet or an ice planet or whatever she's she's eating uh, and you just really get a sense that this is a full, fully developed universe. Well, yeah, and and Joss doesn't feel the need to explain things that don't need explaining. Like one one of the one of the things in the the series that I think gets mentioned maybe once is g- the gravity. Yeah, and 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 it seems it seems like it, it's one of those points that we always get stuck on in science fiction. Like, how does gravity work in space? And Joss Whedon's answer is, it works. Yeah, that's not particularly interesting. Yeah, we figured we figured that out a long time ago. Let's just pretend there's something in there that keeps it. Yeah, working. yeah, and it's because he knows that the most important part of this show isn't the science fiction; it's the characters on this ship, and the science yeah. fiction is a wonderful backdrop for it, and it's interesting and nuanced. But you you need to care about the characters first and foremost, and so every episode. Yeah is reinforcing that point. It makes you care about the characters a little bit more. It gives you a little more detail. Well, and it's perfectly summed up in that line in Objects in Space when when uh, Wash says, psychic? That sounds something like, that's like sounds like something out of science fiction. And Zoe says, You live in a spaceship, dear. And he goes, so? <laughs> like, he doesn't get that spaceship is science fiction. Because it isn't. 
to them. This is just their life. And that's how it feels. It doesn't feel like a science fiction show. And when you, re- when you realize it is a science fiction show, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess it is a science fiction show. But it all just feels so lived in that it feels like just a normal real world show. And how, how the whole show is just about them finding jobs. And every episode is just them about trying to either find a job or finish a job or, uh, or, they're, out of, or they're working a job. And it's just jobs, just working. Nothing sacred or special about any of the jobs they're doing. They're not doing anything great. They're not doing anything. Uh, they aren't the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. saving the world. They're just people trying to work. Yeah, and which is what makes the movie so interesting because it changes tone entirely in in the in the series and it was different depending on what episode but there you know the intro that they have that both Mal and Shepard book say which was is the worst intro and it it ruins the show for me. I hate yeah, it so and you can see that it was mandated by the studios because they're like, oh, well, people aren't going to understand this. But there's a line in in Shepherd Books, which is I think it's uh, a captain's goal was simple: find a crew, find a job, keep flying. Yeah, and and I mean, I think I I agree with you. Those intros were so heavy handed, but that perfectly sums up what we're watching. We are watching yeah. the ordinary, everyday experiences of these people. And in mm-hmm. Serenity, we're watching them be big damn heroes. Yeah, true. Yeah, Serenity is where they become, they, they do the superhero thing. Or they do the, uh, the real, the story actually is a big deal. Yeah, and they save the universe. Yeah, they save the universe. Yeah, like in the show, and, and like a lot of the story themes in the show are taken like perfectly from like Western stories. Like a train job. They're, they're doing a train heist. Like that's a classic cowboy type story. Uh, and the Heart of Gold, they're protecting some people in a house and they're boarding themselves up and they have this big shootout. Like classic cowboy western type uh, type deal. Uh, Ariel is a, is a little different because it's more – it's a heist film. It's Ocean's Eleven uh, in television. Um, but they are just sort of doing like these really nice, classic, beautifully told stories uh, in a very lovely world with an amazing crew. Exactly. And and introducing us to a bunch of characters uh, who who we we like to watch, like all of the all of the antagonists and villains in the show are fun. You know, mm-hmm. Bad, Badger's great. Niska's a delight. Yolanda. Um, even. Yeah. Yosef Bridge. Yeah, even uh, early. The the assassin in oh. the last episode. Like they're. Like, yeah, like those are some characters we didn't even really get a chance to talk about because we talked about just the crew. But like the the and it is strange that they brought back so many characters in one season of television. Badger came back. Niska came back. Yosef Bridge came back. Like three villains returned. In 11 episodes or how many 14, episodes? 14, but 14 episodes. But I, think, like, that's amazing. I think Joss did that because he knew he was getting one shot at this. Yeah. Like he he couldn't introduce us to Mr. Universe. He couldn't introduce us to to all the different and even even then he still did introduce a variety of characters. Uh, oh, but he he knew that the characters that he absolutely loved, he was only going to get a couple shots to show them off. So let's bring him yeah. back. Yeah. And and it, and it's clear, yeah. right? Like Niska's Niska's story probably could have taken place later. Much later, could have come yeah. back, yeah. And actually, would have been more powerful the later it was. Yeah, 
but yeah, like the the so like like uh, we're we're already so long. We should probably wrap up soon. But um, I just want to talk about like let's talk about your favorite episode instead of trying to talk about every single episode because they're all so great that I could talk about each episode for a full podcast. But let's just pick pick your favorite. We'll talk about it. I'll pick my favorite. We'll talk about it. My favorite episode is Out of Gas. Yeah. Oh, good. I was hoping you were going to say that because I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I love this episode. I love where it fits in the season. I love how the story is told. And I love how much respect it has for the audience. Oh, it treats us like we're geniuses and therefore lets us become geniuses. You're right. The way it is told and how it is out of kind of cut out of context like that, like almost like a Tarantino movie. <laughs> but that intro where it's, uh, it's um, Mal walking and you don't see the blood right away, right? Yep. And does it flash back to the sale of the Firefly right No, then? that's actually the very end of the episode. You hear that, but it... Yeah, you hear that at the beginning, yep. right? Yep. And then, and it's not until he falls over and then we see the blood drop. And we go, what? Mal's dying, and then it goes into the intro music. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful opening for a show. It is. It is. And uh, the the ship is empty. The whole point is that you can tell there's no one on it except for Mal. Something has gone terribly, terribly wrong, and we're not going to find out exactly what that is. Uh, what a beautiful hook. It's like you're hooked. You want to find out what the heck's going on on the ship. But it, but why is it your favorite? Yeah, what makes it your favorite other than just the way it's told? Keep it well, I mean, for starters, you know, the it it again gives us that introduction or reintroduction to the characters. The, the dinner scene where they're all just sitting there talking uh, and having a... Telling yeah, jokes. Yeah, telling jokes and having a great time over dinner at, during Simon's birthday. Yeah. And, and we... We see in maybe half a line for some of the characters the intricacies of their relationship and their nuance. Like when Anara t- tells Jane she has funny and sexy uh, whoring stories. Yeah. And Mal's response, or, or what she... Or she says, but the companion doesn't kiss and tell. She shuts him down. And his re- Mal's response is, so there is kissing. And yeah. that, the look between them is perfectly lets you know... There's a huge depth to their relationship. Yeah. And and the, the episode again and again returns to the characters and, and shows us their nuances. You know, Mal, this isn't you aren't an ancient mariner. You don't have to go down with the ship. And mm-hmm. and so it's so character driven. And yet at the mm-hmm. same time, there's there's a plot to the episode, you know. Something goes wrong on the ship and, and it has to get fixed. They have to get the MacGuffin and and it's like MacGuffin that was mentioned in an earlier episode too, hmm. where Kaylee says, uh, "I'd love to pick up some uh, a new." You're a new, right. Uh, You're right. Catalyzer, something along those lines. And uh, she says she'd love to pick one up, and Mal's like, "Yeah, and I'd love to be king of the pink fluffy something somethings, but we can't afford it, you know." Uh, and and she says, "If it blows, we're floating." It's great. And then like a few episodes later, it blows and they're floating, and so it's all Mal's fault anyway. But but yeah, you're right. Like the the intricacies of the characters and seeing how everyone gets on the ship and the the amount of comedy that comes from that. All those flashbacks, like seeing Wash with a mustache, and how Zoe doesn't like him right away. And then we see that there's a different mechanic on the ship. Yep. You know, we have a genius mechanic, and we're like, oh, that's Kaylee. And then all of a sudden, it's like genius. I've never been called genius before. And it's like that's not Kaylee. What the hell? 
where's Kaylee? And then it piques our curiosity. And then we see Kaylee on the ship having sex. How funny is that? Like so much comedy is just comes from from all the reveals. Yeah. And and then at the same time, that comedy is buoyed by the way that Mal says goodbye to all the characters as they're about to leave the ship. Right. Yeah. Because we have mm. we have the fun of that. But then we also get to understand the complexities and nuances of how Mal feels about all of them. Right up to the moment they leave the ship. Yeah. yeah. And the great moment where Jane Jane tells him all the things he's done for him, that he's locked up the thing, there's an oxygen, not much, here's a suit just in case, blah, 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 I've done all this for you. And Mal's like, I won't be needing it. And then Jane just looks at him and then walks away. Doesn't say goodbye, doesn't say I love you, but you know that he loves and respects this man so much that he's done all this thing, all these things for him. Yep. And, and then the amount of universe building that goes on there too in that episode where we, we find out lots of little things about characters and, and the nature of space travel and, and it just it builds the universe so well. That is, that is probably the best thing that Joss Whedon has written, in my opinion. Yeah. Let alone episode of Firefly. How yeah. about you? It's beautiful. Well, you know what episode I'm going to say. I don't. Objects in space. Oh, okay. Objects in space. <laughs> of course, it's my favorite episode. It's such a brilliant episode of television. It's like that and Out of Gas are two of the most best episodes of TV I've ever watched in my entire life. Um, Objects in space with Early and the bounty hunter coming onto the ship. Like, again, world building, this whole idea of this bounty hunter and his fancy ship. But that episode is just like, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't watched the director's commentary on Objects in Space that is available with the DVD box set, watch it and you will have an incredibly different appreciation for that episode have you seen it i haven't it is uh joss whedon and nathan fillion talking about that episode and joss just talking about where it came from and the the that it's been like an idea he's had in his head this idea of imbuing objects with meaning right uh, that he's had in his head since he was like in college you know and he and like you see it in that moment where early is trying to remember a room is it even a room when nobody's in it yep or do we, uh, what's the word? And he forgets the word imbue. Yeah. Just because Joss wanted to make such a point of him saying, mm, imbue, that's the word. Do we imbue the room with meaning? And that's what that whole sort of uh, episode is about. It's all about uh, the fact that the, these objects in space and imbuing things with meaning and uh, the ship itself and this beautiful exploration of the ship serenity. Uh, again, in that moment where Early just grabs the pole and licks it, it's such a strain. And he just did that on set, by the way. That wasn't, he was never told to do that. He just, that was just his inspiration and he went with it. Um, but that whole sort of uh, relationship between River and the ship and actually becoming the ship, right? Where she melts into the ship and early exploring the ship and all this sort of stuff. It's just the, the, ah, the, the show is, is beautiful. And the mirror image of like it starting with them flying by a planet and it ending with, uh, river holding this bouncy ball that looks exactly like the the planet they flew by at the beginning and that it's just like all of these yeah it's just a beautiful the the meaning behind the episode is just so beautiful yeah yeah well and i mean the way that episode opens with with river's tortured um experience of all the crew and and her hearing things that they're not actually saying to her yeah, and she picks up that stick, and then there's leaves all over the floor of the cargo bay, and it's a gun. And she said, "Yeah," and she says, "It's just an object. It doesn't mean what you think." Yeah, like it's it's such a perfect line that both speaks to 
the the experiences of the crew on the ship, but it also speaks to kind of the experience of the audience watching it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's the way we imbue Firefly with meaning that grants it meaning, and and it becomes powerful because of that. And also the story of that episode, the story of early, like early, what a great villain, so smart, so capable, uh, and so philosophical. And like, you love him. You like, you really like his character, even though he, uh, threatens to rape Kaylee. Yeah. Right. We somehow, so it's like, we like him. He's charismatic. We love hearing him say things like, am I a lion? Well, I never thought of myself as a lion. I do have a mighty roar though. Hmm. <laughs> I said, are you Alliance? Oh. Oh, that, that was weird. Where's your sister? Uh, we like him and we think he's so great. And yet throughout the episode, constantly are reminded that he is a, an unbelievable psychopath and that he has no care for anyone's emotions. Yeah. And it's clear that he is the early version of the operative that we see in Serenity. Like yes, they're, yes. they're very similar characters. Although there's also, I think, an implication that he and River are somehow similar. Like they're, the, the way in which they're broken, mm-hmm. has there, there, there is a linkage there that I, I wonder if we would have seen more of uh, in a future well, se- I, seasons. I don't know. I mean, I think like River feels everything. She's had her amnibula removed from her brain, whatever it's called. <laughs> um, and she feels everything that everybody else feels all of the time which is what helps her make her be psychic and early feels nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's like they are opposites in the, of each other, which is what makes them uh, the same, you know? Uh, and yet they both like the firefly. They love the ship, you know, early firefly is a good design. I like the way the walls go out, you know, like he, he loves this ship, but not really. Whereas she loves that ship and really, and like, it's the only place she's ever felt like she was at home which I think River uh, Simon even says. There's also that great scene around the dinner table in that episode. And this is right from the director's commentary where everyone is calling each other. Everyone is calling each other by their roles. So Zoe says, calls Wash husband. Uh, they call Mal captain. Anara is called, uh, I can't remember what she gets called, but they, they call them by title and not by name. You know, the doctor's right. Um, you know, the pre- preacher's right, blah, blah, blah. And they refer to each other by their, uh, uh, like, the object name of what they are. It's just, it's just a great episode. It is. It is. And, I mean, I find it somewhat unsatisfying as a finale to the series. <laughs> yeah. But as, as, an, as a self-contained episode, it is so good. And I think my, my big struggle with it is that if that is where the story of Firefly ended... Altogether, that would be a terrible episode for it to be. I on. know, and that's the well, that's the the tragedy of the greatest show ever canceled is that it ends with the line, "Well, here I am," and it's early, just floating in space. How, ah, oh, what a terrible ending! <laughs> so sad, um, but but at the same time, it's like it is it it's just as a self contained episode, it is absolutely beautiful, and it is the first time River does something uh not the first time because she does the thing with the gun when they're fighting niska but it's like river has a plan and takes control and is uh shows that she is not just the crazy person on the ship but she's the most capable person on the ship yeah she's showing that she belongs Mm -hmm. 
and and it's the first time we see her show that in the series and she shows it again in the movie but it's really that's the first time river is a member of the the crew instead of someone who the crew takes care of exactly yeah she earns her uh, her her stripes is that what you say is that the sure question? that works <laughs> yeah so any final thoughts on uh, firefly in a way i have to say that i'm actually happy uh, that it was canceled and and i have to say that because the 14 episodes that we got were so carefully chosen they didn't waste space they didn't waste time they told us the stories that were they that they wanted to tell and they showed us the characters as they wanted to show them and and i don't think that i don't know if a second season could have lived up to that promise as much mm. i don't know if a second season could have been as honed and and taken as taken the very methodical approach to cutting the stuff that didn't fit into the very the very self-contained stories they were telling and they would have been comfortable with the characters so that we wouldn't necessarily have need to reinforce them as much as we saw happen throughout and and i think we would have risked building the universe out more um and had less of a focus on the characters so despite the fact that i love the series and and was was disappointed when it was canceled I think that because it was canceled, it it allowed it, it allows it to kind of sit as the greatest series, um, one of the greatest yeah. television series. I agree. I think, um, yeah, my final thoughts were, were going to be something very similar. And this idea that we have this vision of a television show lasting seasons and seasons, seven seasons, I think, is the goal, because then you can syndicate or something like that and get played all the time. And so we we stretch these stories out to go on forever and we want to just make as much money on these things as we can. Uh, whereas I much prefer the the model in the UK and the BBC kind of model of like two seasons is more than enough of a television show. 24 episodes is like a, a lot of episodes we can end there. Or like what they're doing with Sherlock where it's like three episodes a season and they're hour and a half long episodes. So Firefly... Is has essentially done like two B, BBC style seasons, which is a great amount for a show. <laughs> and that, uh, yeah, I think it didn't. And I think the threat of being canceled was maybe the best thing that ever happened to that show because it did make them tell the stories that mattered. Everything you said, I totally agree. And that if it went on any longer and got into like six, seven seasons, like if you look at what happened with Angel over those seven seasons and how strange and the biggest the big turns the show took, while they were great and exhilarating, they also completely altered the show. And Firefly is the kind of show that I don't ever want it to be altered, because the relationships of the crew and the and the relationships to the ship and everything about those episodes are just so perfect. Well, yeah, it allows us the opportunity to build the universe in our minds. Mm -hmm. and and doesn't doesn't force us to sit in a particular canon and doesn't doesn't force us to say well no shepherd book was x and that doesn't match with my reality shepherd book could have been a lot of things and yeah, and exactly. and just thinking that through allows us to have so much more fun with the universe as opposed to 
you know, the way in Buffy, you know, we find out more and more about the history of Angel. We find more and more about the history of Spike to the point where we know everything about the characters and there's no more mystery left. Yeah, and we're done. Whereas Firefly, you can watch over and over again. I feel like I'm always re-watching Firefly in my life. I just always like put it on. I just put on an episode here, put on an episode there, start it from the beginning, watch it again, watch it again. Uh, because it's every time you watch it, you think maybe this is actually what it meant. Oh, what if, what if that was it? And it could all be true. So yeah, I say Firefly is the greatest series ever canceled. And I think you would say, and I think you have said, that because it was canceled is what made it so great. Exactly. And uh, I can't wait to keep watching Firefly as it is for the rest of my life. Because <laughs> it's so fantastic and so wonderful. <laughs>